178 of the Bitcoin Podcast on the Bitcoin Podcast Network. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm your second host, host number two, Dimitrik. I am your third host, host number three, Corey. Or some would call me Dr. Petty. Mm hmm. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. The other day we did that episode on Block Channel, and uh, <laughs> the cast like, you should just go by Dr. Corey Petty all the time. You should just make people call you that all the time. It's like, but it's not like my doctor. It isn't really relevant to any of this stuff, whatsoever. Kind of. So doesn't me, matter. Making people call me a doctor seems kind of assholeish. It it is assholeish to tell you the truth. But does it matter if like if you have a PhD? It doesn't matter what it's in. People. What matters? Or like. Um, <laughs> well, in certain crowds, it matters. But in the general crowd. It could be a PhD in cornflake texture. And people would be like, wow, I appreciate your swagger. And you're like, what? Oh, well, doesn't matter. Let's, uh, let's talk about cool stuff in the cryptocurrency space. How about, before we get to our talking points, I'm kind of curious about how you guys feel about this that just popped into my head. Um, do you think the term cryptocurrency is going to last? Because, like... I don't know, like the words we're using to describe the entire space all kind of suck. Like blockchains, sure, but we're actually having different types of things that these systems are being built on. Like, you know, IOTA is an example of a of a DAG chain, like different types of data structures. Um, cryptocurrencies, some of these things aren't supposed to be currencies. So is it a cryptocurrency? Maybe. I hate crypto economy. I hate that term. What's a good term? What do you call it? I mean, blockchains, I guess, is the most maybe appropriate. Or blockchain networks is a better way of saying it. Distributed consensus networks. I've never given a thought to the solution. I just know I don't like the word. Digital well, scarcity networks? Think, How about that? That's cool. think for like three seconds, what would you call the crypto economy? I like that, what Corey just said. Digital scarcity networks and DSNs. Yeah, that's cool. What about cryptonomy? Mm. That's not bad, actually. I think I like that, what I just said. Cryptonomy. That sounds more like a study of something. It's like a, yeah. it's like a field in this area. Like that's like, I specialize in cryptonomy. They're like, what, what, what do you work? I work in the cryptonomy field. That doesn't, it, I don't know. That sounds weird. 
Cryptonometrics. What do, we, what do we call the thing? The thing. Like, what do we call the grouping of digitally scarce things? Digital, digitally scarce networks. Scarcity networks? <clears throat> That's a mouthful, though. You're not going to be at HEB hanging out, trying to get a, a rotisserie chicken with your friend and say, hey, um, have you seen what's going on lately on the digital scarcity network? What, what's uh, a Digiscar? What? That sounds like a game Digi-scar. that children digital play. Scarcity. What's another word, word for has... scarce? What is another word for scarce? Scarce. Let's go to the synonym application on the internet. Uh, scarcity thesaurus. See what we got. Uh, paucity. Never heard that word before. That's cool. Oh, fuck. That's not. That's not recognizable enough to be used. Uh, ex- Exuguity? Never heard of that word. Probably pronounced it wrong. You know what I'm talking about, Corey? E X I G U I T Y? Nope. Exiguity. Don't know that word. Exiguity. There you go. Scantiness. Uh, scant. Scant. Man, actually, this is scant. All right, so it turns out there's not a really good way to to coin these terms that like is, is, is very easily identifiable by people because people are just going to say earth like blockchain networks or like they're not even going to say that they just say cryptocurrencies but if these things are more than currencies what about can, the value net value networks uh, because excuse me Publicly, it seems the most common term for the intermingling of communication protocols is the internet. So why not call this like the value net? Mm, maybe. It's just like I think it's 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 hard. You have to try and find a way to intuit the fact that there's multiple networks that we're talking about here. Lots of that, value. That all have their own scarcity associated with them. Like people don't get that. I mean, like I, people ask me questions like, Oh, I, I hear about these, these cryptocurrencies, but isn't there only going to be like 21 million of them? Like, no, that's just for Bitcoin. And it's, and you can still subdivide a single Bitcoin into very, very small parts. And mm-hmm. so there's scarcity only associated to a single network and however many people. And so like, what you're actually doing is buying a token for the use of that network. And so you have to find a way to give these things names that makes people understand that. That's all you're buying. And so if, if, if you would like to use the network and the demand to use the network becomes greater and greater and greater, then the value that is your access token to that network of Bitcoin becomes more valuable. Or like, say you want to use smart contracts and everyone wants to use smart contracts. The more and more demand to use the network that enables smart contracts right now is Ethereum. So in order to use it, you have to use Ether, which is your access token to use the network. So it's not just the token that's valuable. It's the network that's valuable. And the token is just your entry ticket or the fee you pay to use the network. And so that doesn't really come through when people are trying to invest in these things or learn about them or try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of shit going on right now where people are just buying tokens to networks 
that don't have any use or like demand or anything. They're just speculating on future use case or like there's nobody in that network. So like the the value is kind of artificially inflated because no one's actually no one, no one gives a shit. They're just buying things and holding them. Because they think the Let's token think itself it, is valuable. This isn't anything different than what we've been going through the whole time. It's just exacerbated now. Like it's a new evolution of the same sentiments that are cycling over and over. Originally there was just Bitcoin and a few others. But I myself bought a gaggle of Bitcoin many moons ago in hopes that I would have the ownership of this token to use it on the Bitcoin network. And that's still happening today. It's just happening with random shit that's fake. Yep. Which sucks. Which sucks a lot. But the that sentiment hasn't changed. There's still people that are saying there's a of the thousand people that bought Tron, one person was like, oh, well, one of these Tron is going to let me use the Tron network. And with that particular token, I'd say one in a million. <laughs> but with other tokens like Bat, I'd say it's maybe like one in five people. Me personally, I'm very excited about using my Bat to pay websites to get the functionality of the website better. And I can surf the internet and the, the websites that I use the most, I can pay them what like a small amount so that they're not bogging down my RAM. Like to me, that's a, a brilliant use case. No, like, I never even, I never even thought about using my tokens as utilities. That's the point. That's what you're buying. You're buying like future utility. Like the whole point of a token on a blockchain network is to use and gain access to that network. And yeah. Oh, it's it exactly is. true. The that's point the whole is whatever. The point is whatever value it brings to me or, or the motive of why the I The point it. of the token to exist in in like the ideal, like and for the use uh, or creation of a blockchain token is to use, gain access to a, a blockchain network. That's the whole point. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to exist. I would say that there's more tokens being legitimacy. created to make money than for a legitimate use. Therefore, I, I wouldn't agree with that statement. I'm if saying I legitimate the use. Coins, there's only probably like four legitimate cases. Then you're talking about Ponzi schemes. If there's no use case, it's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, yeah it's, you, it's a security. And it's an asteroid field right now. The funny thing is, is like all these people I interview on announcements, every time I ask them the question, if it's utility or security, the very, the very first thing, it doesn't matter how they answer it. It's usually something around the lines of, well, I'd like to be clear here. This is a utility token. All right. Like, okay. All right. Cool. Explain okay. that. <laughs> yeah. Then they go into what the utility is. No, I, I know why to... they're saying that. That's, the SEC so, yeah, is cracking yeah, down yeah, security get... tokens. Yeah, hard. Yeah. That's why they want to um, be clear. <laughs> so they don't get sued. Everybody, they put their Trump lips on. Let me be clear. This is, um, well, let's talk about this now. So like now, okay, now we've, we've established the, 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 the point, maybe even if Cello argues with me, the point of a blockchain token is to gain access to that network, right? You want to, if you want to use the Bitcoin network, you have to have a Bitcoin or some, some Bitcoin, some UTXO in order to use the Bitcoin network. Otherwise you simply can't use it. 
All right. So what happens when you build on top of these things? So like you have a talking point here. One of you want to talk about the lightning network. That lightning network is a scaffolding on top of the Bitcoin blockchain that allows Mm -hmm. you to basically make a deposit and lock a certain amount of Bitcoin into the Bitcoin blockchain with another user. And you can then transact with that other person as much as you want for as free as you want. Well, pretty much free instantaneous though. Very, very quick transactions, very, very cheap transactions that's associated with the amount of Bitcoin that you locked into the Bitcoin blockchain for the for like the first transaction you make. Mm-hmm. And then later on down the line, when you're done doing business with that person, you can then settle and both of your accounts then free up that amount of Bitcoin that was initially locked with the appropriate amounts of whatever you're settling on. All right. What about the aspect of the lightning network? Like if you have a lightning wallet, a lightning like if you're a lightning node then if you want to make a transaction then you you just make a transaction and it finds the shortest route through that network to give you that zero all right so here's here's the next part of what i just said so what i just mentioned was like back and forth transactions between a single person using what's called a state mm-hmm. channel right so what mm-hmm. what's what's nice about the lightning network is that say um I have a connection, a state channel with you, D, and mm-hmm. you have a connection with Marcello. So you have two connections. I have one. Marcello has one. So you're like the middleman in between the two of us. Right? Yes. These are two. So that's a so that's a total of two open channels. And you are a middleman. So you have two connections. Me and Cello both have one. So what if I want to send a connection or a, 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 a transaction to cello should i open my own channel with him or would it be better if i sent money through you to go to cello and you act as a middleman and take a very 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 small cut so that's what the lightning network is is that i can because you have a connection to him and i have a connection to you i can automatically send a transaction to marcello going through you and you just be a, a, a trustless middleman. That's the key term here. It's trustless. Because as of right now, Coinbase, op, Coinbase offers this service. I can send money to anybody who has an account in Coinbase for free, an instant. But I have to trust Coinbase to do that routing appropriately. The Lightning Network mm-hmm. enables you to do that in a trustless way. Do that, in a, yeah. And then also, like, so then the reason I believe they call it the lightning network is because more and more and more of these channels exist, right? Eventually you get to a saturation point where you've got this giant network where the probability of me sending a transaction to someone in that network is large. And when I send a transaction to that person, it's going to find the shortest route and the cheapest route. Yep. It's like routing. It's exactly what it is. It's routing. But now, now, if you build this on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, what's the point of the Bitcoin blockchain? To have that final stake, the final say so. You're right. It's settlement. It's so yeah. it's for disputes. So in most cases, if business is going as well and everybody agrees in the state of things, then there's no reason to, to like have worldwide trust backed by a ridiculous amount of computing power that no one can stop and change and alter and so on and so forth. 
which when, when you want that is when there's a problem. So it's an automated way of doing transactions that also also allows you to dispute inconsistencies in a trustless way as well. So say there's a problem, I can then close the channel and take the money that I know is true. Now, it, I then lose all my connections with everyone in the, in, the, in the Lightning Network, but at least I know I didn't get frauded. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think the idea of the Lightning Network is to build all of the majority of the transactions of the entire network. Whoever wants to use cryptocurrency, or at least the Bitcoin network, uses the Lightning Network until there's a problem. Then they settle it with the ultimate settlement record to Bitcoin blockchain. Other than that, you don't really touch it. Mm-hmm. Other than people opening and closing channels. Miners would be scared too, right? Miners are obviously scared of losing revenue in the, in the event of a fully scaled out lightning network. Yeah, sure. They're not going to lose money. They're still going to be full blocks basically because the demand, because you've drastically increases, increased the usability of simple everyday transactions – the demand for opening and closing is basically the same as what the current transactional volume is now on the base layer. Mm-hmm. And they they can still maintain fee structure. You know? But the, here's the issue. If fees stay really, really, really expensive, then I'm not going to open a channel to do business with you. Like to say, to like, you know, say for a month, we pay for each other's dinner, Right. Back and forth, we like we, we we work together, and every day we go to lunch, and we take turns paying for dinner. So we'll open up a channel that has you know the week's budget for both of us for lunch, and then go back and forth on on who pays for what every day, depending on who has their phone or wallet. And then at the end of the day, we settle and close that channel, or end of the month, we settle and close that channel. Um, mm-hmm. If the total amount of back and forth that we do is on par with the cost it takes to open the channel, which in this point, in this case, is a is a Bitcoin transaction to open the channel and a Bitcoin transaction to close the channel. If the cost of those two transactions is on par with the total amount of money that we're moving back and forth, we're never going to do it. We're going to use something else. So fees have to still be low if you want this to be a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all I hear from all this... Is, that's not that's let me take that back it's not all i hear from all this but what i do hear from all this is that the end user is not gonna give a fuck so how do we <laughs> how do we make it to a point for them where it just feels like they're spending money or you know what i mean they're they're not gonna go through the back end and say like oh is this fee higher than the amount of what we plan to trade with i don't know is it is it you know what I mean? I I feel like there's a lot of infrastructure user interface. Is that even a discipline? Is there a discipline of infrastructure user interface? Yeah, UI UX. What I that's got to be that's down what Marcello at. does for a living. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I meant like all this stuff sounds like it's happening on the infrastructure level of this technology, but when it gets to the end user. I don't know. It just feels like it's a lot. It is. But the way I personally see it is that basically Coinbase continues to 
operate the way it does, but probably in a trustless manner. It then becomes a giant hub in this in this Lightning Network where people like they have channels with everyone. You buy Bitcoin on Coinbase, and you open up a channel with with Coinbase, and then you can then access everyone else they have channels to. And they probably have a channel open with all the exchanges. So you can move your money to exchange in an easy, trustless, quick way. Move things around and move it back. And so like you then have massive hubs of the of the people who are do already doing all of the transactional volume on the network. Like mm-hmm. exchanges across the entire network. So, you know, goods and services, people who are providing things for, 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 this, for this type of stuff. And so you can then have access to all of these services without having to go through like the transaction fees of moving your money from Coinbase to an exchange and then waiting and hoping that they get shit right. It just happens like that real quick. And that's, that's a, and you don't have to trust them. You don't it no longer becomes a trusted service of moving your money from person to person. They trustlessly are routing cryptocurrency where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read that article that you posted, by the way, about the um, – oh, damn. It was like one-to-one versus broadcast. Now, that's a usability feature that like doesn't – it sucks right now to try and do this stuff. As someone who just took a bunch of money in cryptocurrency out, it, like getting the money out is a painstaking process, which we've talked about the last couple episodes. Yeah, it – Everything's kind of a painstaking process compared to the current system in place. There's no doubt about that. We're still we're still very, very far away, which is amazing. We did an interview with Kristen Stone through Block Channel this past Monday, and she said something that stuck with me this week is that uh, we're in the first inning. Um, and then she went on to make fun of people that didn't know what innings were. And I said she didn't make fun of them. She was just like, if you never watch baseball, then you don't know what inning is. But I was like, who hasn't watched baseball? So um, we're still extremely early in the usability of this stuff. Which when is, is that episode going out? Sounds like a conversation we would have offline. But while we're talking <laughs> in front of God and country, it should be coming out soon. Well, you're talking about a conversation that our people don't have access to. If I want to tune in, when is that going up? Oh, okay. I would like to hear that. You made it. You made it sound so. What's the least? Not like, like, damn, guys, you guys are slacking. Was it? No, it wasn't that. It was just. Oh, I, I um, would like to hear that. Any day now, if it's not out already by the time this episode airs, it's any day. Yeah, it's already pretty much edited and post-produced up. Should be coming out soon. Um, I got a story. Go you for do? it. Um, you you ever been like at a stoplight? And you look over, and then the grass was a little sign. And someone wrote, like, with a Sharpie, like, no credit, bad credit, call this number. And you're like, what? You ever see those stupid signs? Yeah. Well, well, there was one in Austin yesterday. I'm driving, and I look over, and it says, we sell Bitcoin with a Bitcoin logo. And then there's a number underneath it. And I was just curious, if you call that number, what happens on the other side of that line? Robbery. Scam, right? I don't know. Like, it's just probably just some dude with some Bitcoin that he's trying to offload in a in a under the table way. Yeah. Should That's I get that really number much. and then we call him live on air? Yeah. Right by my job. Only if we call him through <laughs> Skype. I'm not calling over my personal number. I'll call him through Skype. I'm just curious on like what that conversation 
That could be a fun conversation. But it doesn't make Bitcoin look legitimate, especially if you're driving down the road and you don't know what Bitcoin is. Well, it's not like they're not doing that shit with like, I'll buy your house with with cash today. Yeah, yeah. It's same. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to do that, but somebody might want to do that. I was asked a weird question last night. We were at the bar, and the bartender asked me if I wanted to use the same glass. Does that ever happen to any of you guys? It's a very uh, off-topic conversation. No, maybe I don't know. I wouldn't really give a shit. Well, Dee was thinking out loud, and the lady next to us was like, "Yeah, that's common." And then it, we were like, "I don't think it is." It's just strange and unsanitary, right? You bring the new, the person a new glass. How is that unsanitary? Drink. How is that unsanitary? There, there's, it's, you've been drinking out of it. I don't want the same glass. I'm just used to getting a different glass. And they bring you a new glass with new alcohol in it. And then you give them the old glass. And then they go wash it. And it's, it's ready for someone new. Some first world problems right there. Is that when, first when you're at home? I when you're when is. you're at home and you're drinking out of a like you're drinking water out of a cup and you're like I'm gonna change to something else. Do you go get a new glass and throw that glass away? Yeah. No, you don't. You're you're a goddamn I liar. I don't. I don't. I don't. But I, I could have pulled Jeez. it off with a straight face. Yeah, but at least I know that because I lived with you, so I know you don't do that. <laughs> Nobody does that. It's weird to do in your own home. But All right, when you're so at cool. A bar. You're at a bar. You're not. They're not taking someone else's dirty glass and giving it to you. That would be weird. That'd be unsanitary. I've been asked the question. I want new ice. And then the lady goes into the, the science of it. She's like, some people want the same glass because the alcohol saturates the ice. And I was like, I don't know how true that is, scientist. Um, Who works at Applebee's. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure the ice just <laughs> melts into the alcohol. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But <laughs> she's like. The ice is super saturated with alcohol, adding to the experience, which is why we use the same glass. I was like, you don't know what you're talking about, man. No. Um, well, that bidet thought is brought to you by Bitcoin interest. Oh, you guys are going to let me do that? All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a sponsor. Got to say it. All right. Uh Guess what, guys? The number of Bitcoin hard forks in existence today is a lot larger than Corey thinks. And you too, D. It's a lot larger. Uh, so the team behind Bitcoin Interest believes that storing your wealth in Bitcoins translates into missing out on one of the most significant benefits of traditional banking. You guessed it. Interest payments. It's still peer-to-peer electronic cash with full decentralization, but it will promote holding onto one's coins first and foremost the Bitcoin interest is uh, it's a frictionless global payment system focusing on three key areas, technology, community, and savings. There are still many other features, and full wallet downloads will be available soon. But to learn more information, please visit BitcoinInterest.io. And I should let you know that the Bitcoin, Bitcoin interest fork is going to happen on the 22nd of January, right before midnight, or at block 505. 083 again that website is bitcoininterest.io cool should do our mm-hmm. interview yeah, yeah so oh oh you want to take that no 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 i was gonna let you go for it mm, i think i'm ready uh it's with edmund john lowell 
and he is a entrepreneur living in Asia. So that was fun. He's uh, he's the founder of the Self Key Foundation, which enables self-sovereign digital identity initiatives for unlocking new human potential and radically enabling financial inclusion. And we talk about I think this is just DNI. And we talk about uh, we talk about civic, I think, uh, identity management, offshore corporations, second passports, digital identity. It was a good talk. Actually, I don't remember. It was a it was a couple weeks ago. But I think we I think we covered way to take topic. the pizzazz. You're the one that's always like Corey's supposed to take the pizzazz. And <laughs> supposed to take the magic. I'm, out I'm of a show, habitual just, pizzazz ruiner. Yeah, like I barely remember. We did this two weeks ago. Oh, no, he's right outside like, the studio. What are you talking yeah. about? We haven't interviewed him yet. Yeah. Wait. Oh yeah, come on in, Edmund. Let's get the show recorded. I was just Perfect introducing timing. you. Sit down. Yeah. Let's talk. Be careful with that mic. All right, have a seat. All right, so um, without further ado, here it is. Hey, guys. We're here with SelfKey. SelfKey is a blockchain-based digital identity system that allows individuals like you and me and even companies to truly own control and manage their digital identity and instantly access important stuff like citizenship and residency by investment, token sales, exchanges, stuff like that, or much more, not just that. So here we are with uh, Edmund from SelfKey. And guess what? Uh, 15.8 million worth of key tokens sold, and therefore you hit your pre-sale maximum cap four days ahead of schedule. So I imagine you're in a pretty good mood. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, so I'm... I'm uh, working the staff this weekend, as am I, and uh, they're not thrilled about that before Christmas, but otherwise <laughs> feeling very grateful. Well, cool. Well, uh, you know, welcome to the show, and uh, I, I guess we could start, you know, just tell tell the people a little bit about your background and kind of what led you to this crypto space. Sure. Uh, so I grew up in America. I went to school at Northeastern University, and I was selling real estate in Boston. Um, I was a licensed broker in Massachusetts, and... During around this time, it was 2008, 2009, the uh, subprime mortgage collapse happened and being a realtor was not sort of the best thing to do. Uh, so I looked at my skill set. I was I was uh, planning to be a lawyer. Um, I knew how to file paperwork with the state. And so I said, all right, well, before I was a property agent kind of working under a master broker, why don't I try my hand at entrepreneurship? And I started a company which was setting up LLCs. So I went from being a property agent to a company agent. And um, that business... Did all right. I read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss and uh, really drank the Kool Aid on moving overseas. And in 2011, I had graduated from university and moved overseas. Um, and just kind of continued to run this business, which was setting up companies. And along the process of doing these incorporations um, in offshore jurisdictions as well as the U.S., so Hong Kong, Singapore, BVI, uh, low tax environments where you could set up a company, I was just amazed at this one process called KYC. It was so painful for us and our client. Um, if you've ever gone through it, you know what it's like. It's like pulling teeth. It's You have to submit all this documentation to prove that you are who you say you are. Even if the lawyer is someone who you've known for 10 years, they still have to collect this documentation. So I just was always frustrated by that. And in 2013, I wrote a white paper, which kind of expanded on the idea of using 
blockchain to maybe solve some of these identity management issues. And I had that peer reviewed by around 50 people and started building in stealth in 2014. So that's kind of how we got started was an itch that I just had to scratch um, for my own needs. How'd you, how'd, so how did you go from real estate? And then, of course, you know, we just heard the, the KYC struggles, but you got into crypto somehow. Was it a friend? Was it a family member? Did you read it in a pamphlet? Did you, like, how did you get introduced to crypto? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact the exact day. I mean, I, mean, I remember telling a friend about Bitcoin when it was a dollar, and oh, I remember uh, I remember writing about it on my blog when it was ten dollars. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of circling the scene for a while. I, I I always believed, and I still believe, that the most powerful element of cryptocurrencies isn't the individual currencies themselves, it's kind of this underlying blockchain layer. And I think a really good analogy is the internet, right? So I had a call yesterday with a friend who said, how do you know that this thing, this amazing thing which is happening, I don't even know how to describe it, the ICO madness, the crypto bubble, whatever you want to call it, this is happening and it's real, but is it really real? Is it just like an inflated bubble and then it's going to collapse tomorrow or is this something that's going to be there long term? And I said, the answer is both. There's definitely cryptocurrencies which are exceptionally uh, overvalued, I believe, at this point. But nonetheless, the underlying technology blockchain is, is real and it's here to stay. And the analogy is the internet, right? So pets.com was clearly a failure, but then out of that internet bubble came real world lasting companies like Airbnb, Uber, and the internet was like this fundamentally disruptive force that's obviously here to stay and has become kind of uh, inextricable from our daily lives. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I guess it was just passion for the technology and kind of what that meant for humanity more than like a get-rich-quick opportunity. And that's kind of why I started to kind of look at how I could build my own businesses on top of it rather than just kind of invest in it passively. Yeah, I'd like to use the scenario of, you brought up Uber. So let's use the scenario of calling an Uber. You know, you you haven't signed up before and you have a new phone, but you do have self-key. And you reauthenticate yourself one time, and then you're able to bypass Uber's ID onboarding. And that's amazing. But aside from solving a minor inconvenience, what grand plans can this be applied to to change the world? And I, and I ask because I kind of want to hear about the grandiose plans on a global level that you guys might have internal discussions about because uh, that stuff really interests me. Sure. Um, so I'll go first to our white paper. So our white paper kind of makes the thesis and lays out with peer-reviewed research that when we use centralized identity management systems, they're inherently prone to attack. So if you look at something like the Experian um, hacks that happened where hundreds of millions of Americans' social security numbers, other records, important identity and financial information at that was taken because there was a centralized point of failure. And because there was one database that hackers could go after, and if they were successful, they would get all of this treasure trove of data, it's a worthwhile target to go after. But when you have a distributed system and you push the security to the edges, and you have any one attack vector being much smaller and much lower reward for a hacker which is able to penetrate it, then you have a disincentive to actually go after it. So it's security by design rather than security by building up these giant walls and a big moat you're sort of spreading these little treasure chests throughout the kingdom. And if you get into one, then you only got one treasure chest. So it's not really worth looking at it. You'd, you'd rather go and attack kind of something else. So that's kind of, I think, 
the grandiose plan is as it, it might not sound interesting to you as a consumer, but there's something to be said there. There's the security element of why should you use a decentralized system as opposed to a centralized system. And I think anytime you build on blockchain, you have to think about that first and foremost. Otherwise, it sort of doesn't make sense. So beyond that, what does that mean to you? What we decided was that ultimately the customer won't benefit unless there's a variety of products and services which are interesting to them, which they can instantly apply for and use this identity, right? If I say that your identity is going to be more secure, you're like, okay, but like, what can I do with it? That's really the key question which we're trying to address. And we're, we're trying to do that with what we call the self-key marketplace. So once you set up your wallet and you have your identity in there and it's safe and secure, you're able to then go and browse and shop different items after you've staked a certain amount of key. And so we already have a lot of these verticals built out. You can check it out on our website. If you go to the marketplace section, you can browse and see a demo. And so in the beginning, we're focused on two markets. One of them is uh, the token sale space, the ICO space, where you can go and you can one-click participate in a token sale and send your ETH and send your KYC. And it's much more safe and secure because you know that you're not going to get fished by a fake MetaMask uh, you know, address. You know that this, this company that you're sending it to is, is storing your data to at least some robust degree of security. And ideally, they don't even have to receive your documents. They can just receive a hash or an attestation that says, Yes, this person's American or no, this person's not American without revealing every detail of their passport and sending the passport image because that's the dangerous part. So that's kind of one marketplace that we have is, is ICO marketplace where different products can be listed there by different products that we've worked with. So we've already worked with a bunch of different token sales. We've done AirSwap, their public sale, uh, AIX, GatCoin, Aditus, Hot Token, our own. So our technology has been proven and used by um, tens of thousands of people to send millions of dollars, um, and, and it works. It works right now. You could use it um, with these different sales. And so the next thing that we're going to tackle is exchange account signups, right? So this is something that if you're in the crypto space, you probably also understand really well, is the annoyance of having to go through a KYC process to set up a Bitcoin exchange. Let's say that there's an exchange somewhere in Asia that's covering your favorite altcoin that you just picked up in, in a token sale, but you're not having an account at that exchange currently and you need to apply for one um, because that's where you could get the liquidity. Um, you'd have to go through that whole process ad hoc on the person's site. But what we're building towards is a world where it's one-click sign-up and you don't have to go through any of that annoying overhead and headache. That's all handled on the back end through our plumbing and through our software and our architecture. So those are kind of the first two examples. And I could go on and on. I mean, there's several others. So one other that you can check out on our website if you'd like is Passports. So this is citizenship by investment. So this means that if you have a certain amount of net worth or wealth, you can go and you can make it either a donation or an investment in real estate, or you can buy bonds, or there's many different categories that you can sort through. And for, say, $400,000, you can become a citizen of St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, Roger Ver did this. He's no longer American. He took his Bitcoin earnings. Uh, he got a new passport, and now he lives overseas, and he's a citizen of a new world and has renounced his U.S. citizenship. Um, relieving him of future tax obligations to Uncle Sam. So that's kind of another marketplace uh, that exists as well. And if citizenship's maybe too extreme, you say, well, this is cool, but I, I don't know if I want to give up my citizenship. I like seeing mom and dad in whatever state. That's fine too. Uh, you could become a resident of a new country, right? So if you move to Panama for five years under the Friendly Nations visa, it only costs you $5,000. And this is $5,000 in a business that you set up. 
So you move to Panama, you set up this business, great crypto scene there, by the way, really, really smart people. Um, and then you're living in Panama. And if you're there for five years, you can speak a bit of Spanish. Um, you can become a citizen of Panama. So there's lots of different options. It doesn't, you don't need to have $400,000 of net worth. And what we're trying to do with these particular marketplaces is kind of make this exercise of freedom, if you will, a little bit easier to understand, to explore and more transparent. Because right now you'd have to go and you'd have to pay a high priced lawyer. And then he's only going to sell you one or two programs that he understands. We're trying to make we're trying to democratize this information and make it really transparent in a marketplace. What are my options for global immigration? And then make it really easy to sign up and make it possible for you to pay in crypto or in Bitcoin. So for instance, we, we announced this year that we have a uh, ability to pay with Bitcoin to become a citizen of Vanuatu. That's a pretty cool one. And that's not right for everybody, but if you do have 300 grand in Bitcoin, you legitimately can become a citizen of Vanuatu and legitimately can use our system to go through that process. So anyway, I, I've, I've been talking on and on, but maybe you guys have some more questions there. I do. Um, you hit some points. I'd like, I, I have a couple questions. The first question is, are you worried that, you know, okay, right now, the way the ecosystem is shaped is that there are very centralized exchanges where most of the transactions are happening. I mean, there's no way around that. The exchanges are kind of the, the bottlenecks between fiat and crypto. So that's where people are. That's where they're doing their trades. Do you worry that in the onset of a popular decentralized exchange that this could kind of make self key moot? No, I mean, if we were only focused on exchange signups, you know, first of all, I think that that would be great if a decentralized exchange took over. So I'm, I'm rooting for that. Um, you know, we, we've been, uh, we have a couple in the works with really big decentralized exchanges. I can't publicly state who they are yet, um, but the idea would be that you could exchange your crypto within the self-key wallet. Um, I also don't think that it's possible yet at this point for decentralized exchanges to replace the fiat to crypto exchange. I, I don't think we're there yet. And then the third reason would be um, there's other services and products that are available. So we've got Throughout 2018, 2019, we're planning to launch passports, residency, setting up a company. Um, all of those are live and you can check out online. Uh, setting up an exchange account, participating in a token sale. And then we've got five or six others that will come after that. Um, gold storage, for instance. So there's always going to be a requirement for KYC or identity. And what we're trying to be is kind of this platform layer, this middleware layer that really focuses on the identity. We'll never sell the passports ourselves is self-key, right? We're just the technology infrastructure that other companies can come and offer these products and services on the market. And it could be exchange, but it could just as easily be uh, setting up a company or something else as well. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on, because I'm hearing all this like really good stuff and I'm wondering like, why is there no identity wallet that can do the things that you guys can do? I mean, you guys have an identity system that can provide linked identities there's multi-level verification. Um, your wallet, you can access your ID documents and store tokens. And then you look at like Civic and Stratus identities, and it's just like you guys are blowing them out of the water. And uh, it's just like you, you know, usually we interview people and they've covered one niche perfectly well, but you guys are like covering so much uncharted territory. Like it, it, it's no surprise that you guys have made so much money in your in your presale. Like you guys are are. I guess I don't even have a question here. I'm just wanted to say you guys are dominating in a really good way. Good job. 
Well, I hope so. I mean, I think we, we have a lot of engineers and we really have an emphasis to focus on product. So that's something that this isn't kind of an overnight build for us. This is several years of build out. And um, I mean, I've been building on a blockchain since 2014. So this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a three month exercise. We really have spent a long time. So I appreciate it. Uh, our team has been working hard. Uh, some part of that time we were in stealth and this is kind of our consumer push. So before we went direct to consumer self-key, we were going to financial institutions um, and pitching them on the idea of having identity management on blockchain. And we got some big Keystone clients. I mean, Standard Charter Bank has a few articles um, online. One of them's with their global CIO talking about their work with us. Another one's an interview with me. Um, if you look up my fintech journey, Standard Chartered Bank, KYC chain, you'll be able to see kind of our work there. But what we realized in working with these big banks is that um, – not Standard Chartered in particular, not to call out them. We've met with many different banks. What we realize is that they really see themselves as owners of your identity and this valuable data that they have on you is, is kind of proprietary to them. So we felt like, all right, we're fundamentally sort of opposed to that. And we think that individuals should own their own identity. And that's why we kind of spun out this identity wallet. So this identity wallet is open sourced. Um, so you know that we're not stealing your tokens in the background and is owned by this nonprofit foundation, the self key foundation in order to have good governance, transparency, and really just kind of build this ecosystem from the ground up, uh, that's consumer facing. So we still have the robust uh, kind of B2B level tools that a business would need to onboard, but we also have the consumer facing identity wallet, which somebody can upload their information and then browse through the marketplace. Um, so I guess that, I don't know if that was your question. You didn't have a question, but uh, well, hopefully that's I, you, helpful. Yeah, absolutely. But, it, and you touched on that you think people should own their own identity, their own data, but also people's awareness of their digital footprint it needs to increase like as soon as possible because most people I know personally don't give a crap about their data. And there's many competitors in the identity space, but some well-known competitors focus on authentication and the identity. Is that a problem? And how does the space get better? Yeah, I mean, there's different levels, right? So when you're when you're going on something online, when you're going into like a new app online, you might authenticate with LinkedIn, you might authenticate with Facebook, you might authenticate with Civic, right? And and that's sort of a one click. And then there's a minimal amount of information which is sent, like say for instance, your email. And for some services, that's more than enough. But for higher level levels of transactions, like for instance, signing up for Bitcoin exchange or signing up for a bank account, there's regulations and there's quite frankly, I think a need to ensure that the person has certain um, identity attributes that are acceptable to that financial institution, for instance. So just put yourselves in the, in the shoes of an exchange. You're kind of in this gray area. And if you're onboarding people from North Korea, you're going to get possibly huge fines, possibly thrown in jail. So it's really important that no North Koreans, sorry to pick on them, get into your exchange. And if you're just doing an authentication level, which I refer to as kind of like email or low, lower level auth, um, that's different than an identity transaction where you're needing to verify someone's passport or identity documents. So we've kind of been focused a little bit more on that higher level and more complex uh, identity transactions because that's what we have you know, that's what we've built out our system to accommodate working with banks. So if you've made it work with banks already, you know, why would we go down to that authentication layer? I think that there's a lot of companies trying to solve that um, and have done it kind of already pretty well. Facebook login already works pretty darn well. Like, let's not kid ourselves. But Facebook, I can't use to set up a bank account. And we're trying to make it so that you can easily set up a bank account. So 
I have a couple questions. So this is the way I partake it. Like if I'm a consumer, one, I'm kind of peaked. Uh, it sounds interesting, and like I could basically prove that I am me without needing to give you a boatload of information, right? Is that this basically is trying to solve? So two two issues. One, right. One is sometimes the bank will require your passport and we can give them the passport and that's what we can do today. But there's also this amazing opportunity with blockchain to not send the passport. And you could send something called a DID, which can convey the fact that you're American, you were born on XYZ date, or you were born after XYZ date without revealing your exact birthday. Right. So let me give you an example of what's possible in the future. Right now you walk into a bar in the US, you have to prove to them that you're over 21. So you give the bouncer your card and you've got to give them all of your information on that card. He's going to know your name. He's going to know your address. If you're a cute girl and he's a creepy bouncer, maybe he follows you home and maybe something bad happens because you've revealed too much information to this guy that you didn't really want to know where you lived. I'm just giving an example. Obviously, this is rare, but I'm sure it's happened. Right. So imagine the world where instead of revealing that address to the bouncer, you just reveal the fact that you're over 21. That's what we need to, do, to complete that identity transaction. So that's all that we should share. And the technology is there to, to en enable that. And blockchain does that in a really amazing way with things like DIDs and, and zero knowledge proofs and more complex technology. Um, but suffice to say snarks. that ZK snarks, right? So, so that would be very possible to prove that I'm over 21. You don't need to know my exact age. But basically, you know that I'm able to go into this establishment. So that's what we hope is that's what we know is possible with blockchain. There is some regulatory hurdles to get over, but um, legacy systems can't really accommodate that. Um, and, and that's why I think that blockchain is the perfect solution for this identity space. So what about like very simple identity theft, right? Say my name is Jeff, but I don't want to be Jeff. I want to be Joseph down the street. He's balling credit score is great. I'm going to go into his mailbox, steal some information about him. I'm going to get his identity and then I'm going to put his identity into self key and then act as Joseph. Like that's a very simple identity theft. How do you guys get around that situation? Like how does that even get around a bull? Yeah. So the way that we prevent that is there's three really important parties in our identity system. There's the identity owner. That's Jeff. There's the certifier. That's someone who has to check the identity and make sure that Jeff is who he says he is. And then there's the relying party, which is like the bank or the exchange. So as Jeff goes through our identity verification process with the certifier using our software, the certifier is going to be able to really easily see that Jeff is not the person that's shown on this identity document. All right. So if he holds up his passport to the camera and Jeff's face is next to it and they clearly don't match, he won't be able to enter that system. Um, so that's kind of what we can do right now. In the future, what we want to be able to do is allow, let's just say that Jeff got the utility bill to come to his house, right? Today, he's got to walk into a bank, he's got to take that utility bill, and he's got to show that utility to the banker, and it's got to be current within 90 days. And if Jeff ever leaves from that address, the bank doesn't really know. But in the future, and what's possible with our system, what's possible with the key, our, our native token, is that the utility company gets paid for giving that digital attestation. So Jeff doesn't have to walk into the bank. Jeff authenticates online and is able to share the information from the utility company to the relying party and have that be paid for potentially by the bank. 
And now it's a live real-time feed that the bank benefits from because they have the information in a live format. The utility company benefits from because they get paid. And Jeff benefits from because he doesn't have to walk in with his utility bill within 90 days. So that's how we're hoping to really tokenize this identity space and make it possible to exchange information in a you know data minimization way that would prevent something like identity theft, ideally. Could this even work for like voting? It could. You know, there's a company based in Australia working on that called Horizon State. Um, they've gotten approval from, uh, as, as far as I understand, the Australian government in some ways. There's there's one in the U.S. called MeVote. I mean, blockchain I think is is starting to become really well proven for um, all types of identity transactions. We're pretty focused on our areas. I think for us to kind of take on voting would be challenging, especially because voting is a very top-down type thing, right? You'd, you've got to get Congress and the and House of Representatives, and I'm not even sure the process to go through in the U.S. to get that over the line, but um, we're not about sitting and talking to bureaucrats all day, every day. We're about building real tech and kind of delivering product to customers. So that's why we haven't chosen that particular niche. Shots taken. If you're a bureaucrat and you're listening to the show, he doesn't have time for your shit. I'm just saying. He's like, I don't have time for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. So, okay, so identity theft gets kind of ruled out. Also, I can, like, log into places as me. The only... Could you walk me through a little bit of, like, the user's story? Like, what do they have to do? What, how do they interact? And when, when does it get to the point... Where I'm like, oh, here's some random new thing. They want me to sign up using Facebook. I'm going to sign up using my self key. I'm going to sign up with some keys instead. Like, walk me through that process. Boom. Great question. So, January 15th comes. You're listening to this podcast and you think this sounds cool. You're ready and you've downloaded our identity wallet to your desktop for January 15th. So, you're ready. You're ready to go. Um, first step you're going to do is you're going to import your UTC keys. So if you go into my Ether wallet, you can download your keys, which comes in a JSON file, and you can import that into the app. Now this is sitting locally on your computer. You're not giving it to us. You're just having a view of these keys on your computer. So that's step one. If you don't have my Ether wallet or you don't have, you just have Ether on an exchange, you've got it on Coinbase or something like that, you can set up the wallet and you can generate a new UTC key and then you just send it to your address, right? Because you can send and receive ETH using our wallet. So that's step one. And then step two is you'll download um, your KYC file from a website if you've gone through KYC before. If you haven't, then you simply connect your passport, connect any other documents that you need. Really, you just need your passport or your driver's license for this first step. And then you'd be able to buy key in our token sale. And it's really important that you have key because key powers all of the identity transactions within our network. So let's say that you bought some key in our token sale. Great. What can I do next? The next thing that you can do is you can sign up for Gatecoin Exchange, which is an exchange which we've got a partnership with in Hong Kong. I know the founder and CEO. They've made an API available to us, and you'll be able to sign up with that exchange within a couple of weeks. So what you first have to do is you have to stake a certain amount of keys. So this is like an access right to the network. And it also helps prevent spam so that Gatecoin doesn't get 10,000 transactions of people applying with you know actual pictures of their cat, not really them. So um, you stake some key, and then you'll be able to get that key 100% back to you. You're just locking it up for a certain period. And then you can apply for Gatecoin Exchange, and you can trade on Gatecoin, and you can log in and authenticate using the self-key. 
and uh, even submit your documents to Gatecoin using SelfKey. And that's kind of the first, I think, um, transaction that we're really focused on is that exchange signup. So that's a big point in our business development in 2018 is going to different exchanges, pitching our products and services, and trying to get an integration with them to kind of authenticate KYC. And we already have a few more coming after Gatecoin, but Gatecoin is one that we can talk about that's been publicly announced that's kind of a tangible example to leech onto. Whoa, dude, that was a good question. <laughs> I tried. Come on, give me credit for the answer. I thought it'd be a great one, and I'm glad that you knocked it out of the ballpark. Cause yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean for Ed, Edwin to answer that and then give the credit to D. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty funny. I just like, I didn't think he was going to ask something like that. Uh, that was good on both of you guys. Uh, <laughs> um, the the switch gears, uh, D might want to switch back, but I'm I'm in marketing, so I was uh, curious about your enormously massive team, but. What intrigued me was your team is divided into four macro areas, and I wanted to know why. And that might seem obvious to some people, like, oh, well, marketing is in marketing, and and the developers are. But it's, I think it's uh, more thought out than that. And I, I wanted to know how have you guys achieved more success with this particular structure, and uh, how you came to the conclusion to build it out this way. And for those that don't know, you, I guess you can tell them what the four areas are. Sure. Uh, yeah. So the four areas are legal, advisory, uh, growth. So we just call it growth rather than uh, marketing and sales, but just growth. And You're then in uh, I'm in growth. Yeah. I mean, I, I really have to wear four hats, but um, we got to put me in one column. So I go in growth. And then um, what was the, what was the uh, design and, and technical. So the technical team is kind of together. And uh so a lot of people ask us like, wow, you've got like 65 faces on your website. Like are all these people full-time? And the answer is no. I mean, the legal team is not full-time. I mean, these are lawyers who make $850 per hour. They're not kind of doing our banners. You know, those are, those are uh, legal, legal advisors. And the advisory team is, again, uh, part-time. Uh, but the growth and technical teams are more or less full-time. I mean, most of the people on there, there are some part-time folks, but uh, – the reason why we divide it into those four categories is I just think that it fits very neatly into buckets and allows them to kind of um, work independently without kind of uh, confusing other people who don't really need to have a view over that, right? Like the do our technical developers need to be like worried about what's going in in our community chat channel? Like not not really. It's probably just going to distract them from getting work done. Um, so for instance, right now the marketing team is like, more or less enjoying the weekend. Um, and the technical team is is still working very hard to deliver um, to our timelines. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we do have a massive legal team just because when you do a token sale, there's all types of legal hurdles to just kind of think about and consider. And the advisory team, I just felt like when you have something of this magnitude, like we're not going after a small pie. This is, this is clearly a big market that we're trying to change. Um, we need to have connections and we need to have introductions and introduction can go really far away. Um, so we've tried to incentivize our advisors uh, in that way for, for making introductions and helping us uh, grow the company. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question, but that's just kind of off the cuff how we, how we kind of split that up. Yeah. Lovely. So, I had another question, but I think I lost it, and uh, I don't even know why I started talking if I lost the question. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it was it was a good question. I got a question though. for you. 
You should you should ask me the question. Why should someone care? That's a very good question. So why do, why do I care? <laughs> Great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> you should care. <laughs> if you use the internet on a daily basis, you should care because our lives are moving increasingly into the digital world, right? As our lives become increasingly digital, who we are and what we do and, and the accumulated identity attributes over a lifetime can really determine a lot of things about us, right? So let me give you an example, like what's happening in other places in the world. In China, there's now basically a credit scoring system that watches what you do online. And if you're saying bad things about the political party, that could impact your credit score. And it could also impact your friend's credit score because they associate with you. So they associate that you might have these same political values. And because this is a centralized identity management system run by a government, it's, it's possible that you could get discriminated against. It's possible that you could not qualify for a student loan. You could be excluded in many ways from society because of your digital identity. So it might be something that you don't really think about or think that matters to you today, you're like, yeah, whatever, man, I got a Facebook, so what? Like, I get it, I understand where you're coming from, but you have to think forward two, three, five, 10 years, who owns this data is really, really important. And all that I'm trying to say is that you deserve to own that identity data. Not me, not my company, not the government, not a bank, you. You deserve to own that identity. And that's really the message that I'm trying to get across. And even if it's not my company, particular that succeeds in this space. I just hope a self-sovereign identity company succeeds in this space because I think it's one of the most fundamentally important questions of our time. Who owns our identity online? All right. You so got me why. amped up now. Go ahead, Tello. <laughs> yeah. Tello, were you going to, were you going to, were you going to say some stuff? Nope. Um, all right. So now I'm amped up because <laughs> this is right up my alley. Right. Like, I don't like Facebook owning me and I don't like Google owning me. And right now they own me Two different. There's a Facebook me and a Google me. And they're pretty similar, but there's some differences depending on what data they have on me and not. Right. But I want to own that. And the thing that we've been trying to proliferate since we started this podcast is it's important for you to own that. So how would you like stand in front of your company representing everything self key? Get that to the public, the people listening to our show to understand that, hey, you should probably drop what you're doing and look into owning your own data as we move into worlds with net neutrality being moot and these crazy ass internet laws coming out of the Eurozone. Like, how do we get that point across to our listeners? Oh, that's that's a that's a tough question. I mean, that's what comes next, right? So if you do care about these issues and you think it's important, I think always the first uh, area to work on in any issue is awareness, right? So tell your friends that you've heard about something that can solve this problem, whether it's my company or another company in the blockchain space that's kind of solving some of these similar issues, right? So there's there's now Facebook alternatives, um, there's there's Uber alternatives, there's, there's alternatives to the mainstream um, that present an opportunity to do things in a more decentralized manner. And I think that this decentralization is the trend that can save us from having these centralized powers wielding a lot of authority, making a lot of profits off of us, right? That's how we can um, kind of gain some of the power back is just choosing with our wallets, choosing with our mind share, choosing with our time, where we want to spend our time. That's how we can uh, 
that's how we can eventually see some control back. But the first step is definitely awareness. You know, if people don't know about this, if people dismiss it offhand, then it's never going to get the traction that it deserves. So first step is awareness. And then second step is really the action to kind of pick an alternative. Got it. Okay. So if you're listening and you heard what Edmund just said, now you're aware. So take a little bit of action. And we're going to have that option soon. So I got one last question. I have two questions, right? So I feel like you guys are making a bet as a whole that in a future long time from now, maybe not that long because things move fast, maybe 10, 20 years, that populations will be a a lot more fluid. And self-key can fulfill a need in a very fluid population, right? What I mean by fluid population is like Monday, I'm in the States. Wednesday, I'm in the UK. Thursday, I'm in France for whatever reason. Right? I feel like you guys are, are, are kind of trying to fill a need right. for that reality. Am I right or wrong about that? I, I would agree with you. And I would say that that's almost an unstoppable force. Right? As an entrepreneur, you want to ride waves. As an investor, you want to bet on waves. Right? So the internet is like this, just such a powerful wave that like couldn't even be stopped, right? I mean, there were lots of companies that failed in the first internet bubble, but fundamentally the internet just was not going anywhere. Like it was unstoppable. Uh, I think that globalization is an unstoppable force. Regardless of whether countries want to implement individual nationalist policies, it's it's almost impossible to stop globalization. People want to move it to is. new countries. People want to go see new things, right? And as, and, and as they do- Go ahead. As air travel gets less expensive, as we, you know, I think things are a lot of things holding it back. But as air travel gets easier to do, the globalization is definitely unstoppable. So keep going. I'm sorry, I didn't want to. I, I, I mean, there's other trends as well, right? So I think people want to have access to financial services. I mean, if you look at a country like Indonesia, right, more than half of the entire country does not have access to a basic bank account. More than half. It's 260 million people that live in this country, and more than half don't have a bank account. Oof. Like that's incredible. That's, <laughs> that's 130 for you guys listening. <laughs> Good with math. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that these these trends are. Uh, that's that's what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to create this trend. I'm trying to surf this trend. And if we can create an amazing product and service which serves people. Along the way, that's that's really kind of my life's mission more than anything. Is is uh, and and I want to do that in a way which is wholesome and beneficial to people, right? I don't want to own all of this data by myself in a single company that gets hacked, like Experian, and uh, it's just <laughs> devastating. Uh, we're we're trying to to democratize this and do it in another trend, which is peer to peer and decentralization. So I hope that I can ride this this confluence of trends. Um, you know, as long as it keeps going. Um, but we need we need the grassroots support, which is why it's so important to come on to podcasts like your guys, which, you know, I'm really appreciative of you guys having me on the show because you have listeners who are smart and intelligent and understand the space, are looking for new products and services to spend time and money on. And that's, I think, the most important thing is supporting kind of grassroots initiatives because the way that we're going to win this is from the bottom up. It's not from top down. If we let the government decide how our identity should be stored, then we're going to get stuck with that. And it's not going to be the decision that we consciously made. But if we consciously decide that this is something that we want to use, then you know we have a little bit more of control back. So anyway, that's that's a 
I feel like we're getting very political in this call, but anyway, some some it's of these things good. do involve that. What do you good. think about Donald Trump? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. I mean, I, I we honestly, just I just remember like, go ahead, all right, go I want to answer. I, I just remember him from The Apprentice. Like, I remember being a kid and like he was like a movie star. And I think that in America, people who are celebrities have an extreme amount of value because if you look at it we're, we're kind of like still a tribe of monkeys right we're evolved monkeys and we use cell phones but we still like latch on to around 200 people like psychologically it's been proven that people only can really remember like 200 close people like that's 200 to 300 people is what's proven in scientific studies and celebrities have this like out outsized importance in our life i just think that society really cares too much about celebrities and i think that that's largely why um, I don't know. I don't want to get political. I mean, I think Donald Trump represented a lot of things in America, just being discontented with the status quo. But I also think that the fact that he was a celebrity was just kind of a really interesting trend to look at, right? It was, he was a populist and, um, anyway, no, I, I get it because, um, you know, Will Smith hasn't made a good movie in 10 years, but I kind of want to see that. That bright movie. I don't know why. <laughs> it is hot garbage. It's Will Sorry. Smith, though, man. Yeah, it's Fresh but Prince. What you just said is why it shouldn't. <laughs> he should stop. But hey, if you want to get political, you can be on our other show, Cryptolytical. No, I'm kidding. We don't have that show. But oh, um, I, I, you totally <laughs> had me. I thought you did. Maybe, maybe we should. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> the show where you come on and get extra political. But anyways, we just got one last question for you. Um, I hope that you've been listening to the show and had time to study. And that question is in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? In 10 words or less, can I describe blockchain? Okay. Um, I didn't study this, but I'll try to come up with it on the fly. Um, a decentralized peer to peer, uh, electronic financial system without borders or central control I said decentralized and central control in the same sentence. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's, that's maybe my, uh, maybe my answer there. Okay. If we count, if you give me a rain check on that. <laughs> how, how many words do I have One combo word. And we substitute, we say that decentralized was redundant. You just squeezed under. All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, I don't I, have anything. Yeah. If you don't have anything, cello. Um, other than so we make a lot of Street Fighter jokes and he's in the country where Saget's from. I just wanted to mention that. Other than that, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, anything you want to add? Great for you. Um nothing to add. Thanks for thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully hey, it's not the last. Me. Doors are always open. Yeah. We love to do like round twos. You know, what happened after the ICO? Where are you on your roadmap? Um, are people liking the product or are they complaining about things like just it's always open invitation to come back and connect with our listeners. So thank you, Edmund, for stopping by. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. And we're back. That was the interview with Edmund. Hope you enjoyed it. We're moving forward now. Yeah. So what are we talking about on the second half of this show? What do you want to talk about? I personally like to think about like talk about um Did you guys have a Game Boy or a Sega Game Gear? Both? 
I thought so too. Yeah, that's most people. All right, conversation over. Let's talk about some Bitcoin stuff or crypto stuff. Well, we're talking about Bitcoin. How about um, you remember? You remember for Sega Genesis, they the Seven Up spot had its own video game. Why can't Bitcoin have its own video game? It did, right? Didn't do? have a couple. What would you do? I mean, this is all pretty much a video game anyway. It's just it's got money consequences, <laughs> real real consequences with the real life money. What do you mean? Like, what would your What would what a Bitcoin mean, video game be? I think it could be like Super Munchers, where you have to eat the right private key address, or else you don't get any points or something. I don't know. Number crunchers? Oh, you mean was like it a, number munchers? That that game we played when you were like a kid on like the old Mac? Yeah, when you were a frog on the grid. That was the best. That game was so good. Top right. Pretty much yeah, single handedly taught me arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Taught me my prime numbers. Taught That's me what I'm saying. Mouse. So so we could use Bitcoin super munchers to teach the next generation about That would be difficult. <laughs> Needs well, explosions and Grand Theft Auto. It could be a grid that says eat all the Bitcoin transactions. And it could have a bunch of Bitcoin transactions on there, but it could have some Ether transactions too with the OX and some Litecoin transactions with the L up front. And they, yeah, but who's actually looking at transaction numbers? Like, that, that's not going to help noobs. It's, your child's not going to no, know what's going on there. What you guys basically just said is like, who's going to open up a book on nuclear physics? Like it's the difficult. It's the more difficult physics, yes, but doesn't mean that someone shouldn't try and go out of their way to make it understandable on an easy level. For people who are interested in nuclear physics, which is a very small amount of people, we're talking about mass adoption. We're talking about like just every yeah. every person. So you don't would, believe would be... that the massive amounts of people, given the okay. In the event of what's happening now with more and more people every day sending their Bitcoin to Bitcoin cash wallets and just destroying themselves, you didn't think it'd be advantageous for the normal user to just know what their transaction looks like after they send it? Like, okay, let's just do a fucking public service announcement right here, right now. Announcement. PSA. If you're using Bitcoin, look at the damn transaction on a block explorer. I yeah sure what what, like, what are they going to look for? What tell them tell them what are they what are they looking at, for? You're looking for the inputs. You're looking for the outputs. You're looking for if the if the output is coming from the address that you sent it from, and the input is going to the address that you wanted to send it to. Look at the first letter of look at the first chunk of the transaction to know if it's a Bitcoin transaction. They've got the one there, or if it's a Segwitchin Jackson doesn't say one. That's you're talking about. You're talking about addresses. Three. Up there, so if it's a legacy, like a, a before Segwit, a normal Bitcoin address starts with a one, yeah. not a transaction. An address starts with a one, and a Segwit address starts with a three because it's actually a script hash, just like a multi uh, signature address on Bitcoin also starts with a three. And so those are the that's kind of the indicator of that so if you see a one it's an old address which means it's inefficient and you probably shouldn't be using it if you're on the bitcoin network like, these things are, are difficult we know what sucks what should be fixed because most people shouldn't have to care about this are the wallets wallets suck 
They all suck. And so people shouldn't have to understand this stuff if we want it to be used in everyday stuff. Like, it should just work. They don't have to look at hashes. You put Paul Paul Pui on blast. People like Paul Pui putting them on blast. The fact that you can't use half of the features that are currently available in Bitcoin because the wallet doesn't allow you to means the wallet sucks. How are they making money? Like you can't just have a shitty product to you be can't, making money. Like, there's no option to replace by fee. There's no option to do a lot of the cool stuff that you can do. There's no option to choose between SegWit and a lot of these things. There's no option to choose the fee you'd like to do. There's a lot of stuff that you can do inside of these these there's no option to batch transactions. You can batch transactions in Bitcoin. There's a lot that you can do in Bitcoin. It's just like nothing ever gets done in Bitcoin because of the political nature of things. I give. I feel or like. the wallets suck. I, I I mean, there's no reason all of these things shouldn't be built into a wallet. But it's easy to create a minimalistic wallet. Put a, put a nice wrapper around it that gives the most simple and efficient functionality, and then and then put it out there. What if our community did that? What if our community was responsible for building a wallet that was cool? Sure. Who's going to do it? You guys hearing me out there? I'm talking to you, Elias. I'm talking to you, Joe Blue. I'm talking to everybody else in the Slack. I know you guys are super good at computers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make a wallet, man, that doesn't suck for Bitcoin. We need to give back to Bitcoin because Bitcoin's given so much to us. It's shown us the way. I know you're dying to talk about that. No, no, I'm not. I don't need to talk about it. I just need to say it. Okay. Bitcoin's shown us the way. So we need to give back to Bitcoin. We're not talking about that. (laughs) We're going to keep that inside joke that never needs to be talked about because it's stupid. It's so funny. Okay. Um, You bang up a good point, Corey. It's a point that a lot of people didn't even notice. Truthfully, like I didn't even think about until you start talking about how bad they suck. Why do you think they're sucking so bad? Like, are they, they don't have any motivation to make it not suck. They don't have any motive. Well, no, they these, don't have any more. These things haven't been built before, so there's no roadmap. So, you know, usually when people build stuff, they copy off successful iterations of the past. So it's just growing pains, I think. Sure, but like as a developer, if I was if I built a wallet and then the Bitcoin introduced a new functionality. It allowed me to craft more efficient transactions that made it easier for my users to do things on the Bitcoin network, which is what a wallet enables you to do. I would add that feature. Yeah, there's like, you know, some UI redesign. I have to add some things. I got to add functionality, make sure it works. But it's, it's, these things have been out for a long time. And I can think of like three wallets. There's an episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin where Andreas talks about all these functionalities and what what wallets enable them, which is like two or three. I I would urge people to go listen to it so they know if they're dealing with the Bitcoin network where they can do this type of stuff. It's 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 ridiculous, and it's this isn't just Bitcoin. There's a lot of problems across all networks with the interface to using these networks. Like it's, it's, it's a, don't get me wrong. It's a hard problem of making a very difficult technology easy to use. 
from a UI and UX mm-hmm. standpoint, like making sure that the wallet does everything correctly on the back end while providing a very intuitive UI and user user interface and user experience for the people using the wallet. But how much money is being inflowed into these projects and the whole space that like it's not like you're not incentivized to do so. Yeah, that's true. But the people building wallets aren't getting money. It's the people that are like, I'm going to tokenize soil usage. Sure. And prove that we are causing global warming. And it's like, dude, just we need wallets that work. We need wallets that work better. Why do you think my Ether wallet is so, so uh, basically popular? They've been around for a long time and they've allowed people to interface with Ethereum easier than most other wallets the functionality like they pre-fill gas prices for various token contracts that's why they blew up when the icos happened because people could use get into icos quicker and safer than beforehand and it was easy to use and in a a safe way Mm -hmm. it's it was they they made the technology better and brought a ton of people to that technology because they enabled people to get to it you just need the inter like the wallets are the interface to the network. They're like the browser. They, it's exactly what no, they are. That's a, they are like a, that's bra- kind of a loose definition. Well, if you add a wallet to a web browser, which is what like you know uh, MetaMask does, your browser automatically becomes a Ethereum browser. You now have a way to interact with things that require wallet services. Mm-hmm. That's all Mist is. It's a basically an internet browser that allows you to use your use and pay for things. Mm-hmm. Mist has Mist is an actual acronym too, right? I don't know. It is. I think the, the digital wallet is going to be the blockchain. What the web browser is going to be the internet. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you how do you manage your passwords for whatever network that needs these things? There and if we if we're calling tokens the like if we're calling cryptocurrencies the tokens that allow you to use a network the place where you keep your tokens is your interface to these networks but i think the battle over like personal digital wallets i think it's going to be like more heated than the browser and phone wars have been i think people are going to take it i think there's going to be a big pursuit of a dominant position and well, who has the best wallet? I think you're absolutely right because there's always the, the, if we're sticking with the analogy, there's a big pursuit who can browse the internet the best. New new web browsers are still popping up every year. Which one's faster? Yeah. Which one's safer? Which one's more secure? Which one has all the you know the new features? That mm-hmm. same argument could be made exactly for both internet browsers as well as as well as uh, wallets. wallets. And so, what's the Internet Explorer of wallets? What's know. gonna fucking have we even made it to Netscape? What's know. funny, D, is when we were talking to Taylor, you brought up back in the day where browsers didn't remember your URLs, and yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> God, I hated that. But I did find out that that's how other countries are living. So this is a little bit off the off the rails. But in my last week in Mexico working, I noticed that everyone in Mexico is uh, surfing the internet in incognito mode. And I was like, they can't be, I'll be watching porn at work. And so then I asked, 
I asked our translator, like, hey, why does everyone use incognito mode? And they were like, oh, the government tracks it and you can get in trouble slash killed. And we were like, oh, OK, cool. And so, <laughs> so we were like, so everyone just has to remember what they're doing on the Internet. And they're like, yeah, we just write down the stuff that we like and we go back to it. And so like, like yeah. some kids could lose their father because he forgot to browse in incognito mode for a day at work. I think that the cartels have a, have their hands in a lot of things down there. I think I think I wouldn't risk it either. I'd be going incognito all the time too. So yeah, but incognito mode doesn't shield your internet traffic. It's not. They seem to think it does. Oh, well, it doesn't. That doesn't then shield your internet traffic whatsoever. All it does is doesn't store a lot of the JavaScript cookies, all the things that maintain your ability to go back to places from your local machine. So that you know, when like you go to, uh, you start typing in a web address and it auto fills based on somewhere you've previously been. Yeah, you like can't have that in incognito. Yeah. In a, <laughs> an Asian Mills comes up. That's what incognito mode does. It doesn't do that anymore because of incognito <laughs> mode. It doesn't, it doesn't shield the actual traffic leaving your computer. Your ISPs can still see everything. That's what VPNs are for and, you know, things like that. They use uh, VPNs too. Okay, then that's, that's shielding traffic. All incognito mode does is basically out. keep you from having to, like, store browser history. Um, uh, oh, let's congratulate D on on leaving his job and becoming yeah, a full time crypto say. person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing that, guys. All three of us have crypto jobs. Mm, two, two out of three of us have definite crypto <laughs> jobs. <laughs> Actually, no, because I work for us. Yeah. So. Yeah, I work for us at the moment. We don't pay so. very well. We pay pretty well. I'm eating. Last we night paid. I had a uh, two nights ago I had a steak. Didn't come from us. It did not. But I'm eating. <laughs> I, I gotta say I ordered um, seventy three onion rings last night, and Dimitri for a split second thought that that was all for me. And I was just I was under the the misconception that I wasn't gonna get a tall leaning tower of fucking onion rings. Ah. No, man. He ordered the onion rings at Cheddar's and I was, he was like, and he was like, are you going to get anything? And I was like, you motherfucker, you just ordered the leaning tower of onion rings and you're not going to share them? That was, I was like, I was like, what are you doing with that? And he's like, no, I'm not going to share it. Get your own shit. And I was like, all right, well, I'll get some chips and salsa then. He, this giant tower of onion rings comes and he was like, I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting like three onion rings and I was like, the first thing I wanted to say was like, there's a fucking picture. But the, what I actually said was, <laughs> where are you spending your money that you pay like that, like that amount of money for three onion rings? Like, what were you expecting? The best onion Cello rings? only eats fine dining. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, was, the picture was cropped, by the way. It wasn't, they didn't put the whole picture of the fucking. Oh, so it was so many onion, onion rings, rings that they couldn't even fit it in all the picture? Yeah, it was retarded how big it was. And well, then, then they give you like this you little known. bit of sauce. <laughs> yeah. It was seriously core. If you look at the height of two stacks of onion rings, it's like eight to ten inches of onion rings that come to your table. 
it's and it was, was like, can I get you anything else? And I'm like, why would I need anything else when <laughs> I can barely see you over this pile of onion rings? That's gross. <laughs> it was so anyway, funny. Uh, I I wanted to tie back in to the wallet thing because uh, Vitalik uh, said that he's deliberately refraining from commenting on wallet issues, and I feel like he has a responsibility to comment on on these what are, things. What are his responsibilities? How much time does he have in a day? to deal with all of the responsibilities people put on him. If he's he wants the president it. of the United States of Ethereum, he How has much is he all building though? I, I mean, I feel are you, like, are you, are you kidding me? I feel like consensus yeah. is doing most of the building and he's no. doing a lot of overseeing your, your consensus is not mm-hmm. doing infrastructure level stuff. They're, he's they're, in the weeds every day. He is crafting a lot of the ways these things are going to scale later on down the line like he's the one that's trying to come up with the ways in which ethereum can scale in terms of sharding privacy stuff uh way the smart contracts are going to be built in terms of like the language that you use and how it gets compiled without a bytecode whether or not they even use the evm anymore all the things that people don't understand he's working on and he doesn't have forty thousand hours in a day of incredibly critical critical thinking skills to address all the things people want him to address. And he still does a pretty good job with addressing things at a high level to try to explain them in a very easy, easy way. Like, people put way too much pressure on him to, to think he's a fucking god. He's not. It's, it's There's more than Vitalik in the Ethereum space. He's not going to solve all your problems. He doesn't have to. I think he should be gonna... his diplomat. It's, it's retarded how much pressure put someone, people put on a single human. Like, well, when is it enough? Know. That's what humans do, man. It's no, it's it's you, you're gonna do. you're gonna okay. Well, then we're gonna habitually crack all the people that are supposed to be doing the right things, which and, is why they get terms. Yeah, so they can go away. Well, after we crack them, after we crack them, because of all of our ridiculous demands. Maybe that's why Satoshi they was brilliant. Go away. That's the reason why Satoshi was brilliant because he knew that once yeah. this thing got big enough he wouldn't be able to handle the pressure of all of the things that humanity puts on people because it's it's absurd. There's no reason why people should expect him to do as much as they expect him to do. Yep. That's why Satoshi's brilliant. That's why Charlie Lee is going to be brilliant. As soon as he's done doing what he the development he needs to do on Litecoin and he hands over the reins and he's done, that's brilliant, man. Like, I think that's arrogant, though. If I create something and be like, this is going to be so big, I better be anonymous. Yeah, but the thing that about it is, is that usually the persons that make something and they're like, this is going to be so big, it's not going to be big. It's never going to be big. It's just something that you thought was cool. It's usually somebody like has a need, makes something that's awesome, and then it's big. I don't know. Well, yeah. In this case, though, I agree with you. I Cello, I agree with you to some point. Like, Yes, just, just take five minutes out of your David Tollick to say, like, yeah, wall services should probably work on this, and then just take off. Like, if that's you my know, point. if like you if know I cre- you have influence and you know what that influence means, and if it's for the greater good of whatever system it is, take five minutes out of your day and say, like, oh, it'd be neat if wall services had this, 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 and that. Do and you then, read boom, all the stuff Vitalik you know, says? Do you read his blog posts? Do you read until, do you read the stuff he says on Reddit? Do you read his his developer meeting notes? Do you read do you watch his videos? Not all talking that. in the context of this, of this topic. If, right. if I created if I created the pizza, 
I should I should I'd be able to walk into a Papa John's and be like, "You're doing it wrong," and then walk out. And no, I'm sure he hard. has that ability to do it, but he doesn't. He doesn't. You do don't have the. All right, if you created the pizza, are you then rel- like? Is it your job to walk into everybody trying to make a pizza and tell them what they're doing wrong? Oh, that's a good point. No, it's not your job. I'm just saying it'd be cool. You yeah, you can do that. <laughs> that's fine. He has the ability to do that. He has the clout to be able to weigh in on very on whatever he wants. Basically, it's not his job to do it. Yeah, no. As a leader, though, some of it becomes your responsibility. Sure, yeah, I'd, I'd say he's support. doing his responsibility. He's fulfilling more than his responsibility, in my opinion, based on everything that I read that he writes. There's more than Vitalik to Ethereum. There's a lot more of other people there's building also, things. There's also Joseph B. Lubin. <laughs> the guy's got a funny name. Uh, I think Vitalik is going to hit a million uh, followers by the end of the year. That'd be pretty big for, for crypto. crypto. Yeah, that'd yeah. be a big deal. He's more crypto polite than Twitter's I am. Getting huge. Crypto Twitter puts crypto Facebook to shame. Crypto Facebook is just it. They're a, a bunch of deplorables. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That was that was. A little he bit retweeted of, uh, Evan Van Ness. He, he made it. Evan made it. He made it, Evan. Uh, Five hundred fifty-nine yeah. likes because Vitalik retweeted him. What did he say? What did Evan say? Uh, Evan said that the most underappreciated move in Ethereum ecosystems is the Serpent and the Solidity compiler audits paid for by Augur Project. He's he's pulling on Vitalik's Python heartstrings. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Vitalik is a Python developer from Force and Fermos. He he kind of developed everything. All the you know pre things was a Python client, which is a programming language. Serpent is the um, high-level language that you can write smart contracts in that compiles down into bytecode that is modeled after Python, which was uh, which has now been um, basically abandoned and turned into Viper, which is now the smart contracting language that's modeled after Python. Because Serpent had a lot of issues. That's that's a dilemma between price and value differences. I don't know what that means. Means what? I think Augur project is in good hands. Yeah, pink eye, Cello. Do I? What's wrong with your left eye? Oh, what's wrong with my left eye? <laughs> okay. Might be it was itching last show. It was itching last night. Oh, I look think at that. that. We gotta go. You should go take yeah, care of that. It might be time to hit the show. Oh god. Hey, look at that. Maybe I caught something from Meth Mouth. Oh, meth mouth at the bar? Yeah. yeah, breathing in my direction. Look at that. At Applebee's, we use the same cups and the same plates. That's why you don't use the same cups. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> All right. So if you guys want to get in contact with us and and you're having a hard time figuring out how, you must be 85 years old. Because the internet's been around for a long time. No, I'm kidding. Go to the bitcoinpodcast.com um, and you can find us. Uh, there's <laughs> all kinds of stuff on there. There's a, what's up? There's a Slack I, tab. I was, I was thinking about DL Thornton, that old guy on the show. Oh. <laughs> you were like, Bitcoin's up to 14,000. He's like, what? He's oh. like, yeah, I can't follow the news. <laughs> Never mind. Oh. Sorry. I was just thinking out loud. There's 
the bitcoinpodcast.com is the website. Go there, poke around. Uh, our Slack is there. You 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 actually click on the tab that says Slack, and uh, and you can get in the Slack. It's that's easy how it works that way. It was broken for a while, so that's on us. But now it's working. Um, what else do we do? Uh, we have a Twitter at the BTC Podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, and we tweet. We do things. Uh, Chella runs the Twitter, so tweet to him. He'll tweet back to you. Um, we have shows on shows and shows coming up. We've got some block channel episodes coming up. I think we have an Ethereum podcast show coming up. Uh, not another Bitcoin podcast show is coming. And on ramping is coming. Um, new show with DJ Never Ending Story. That's right. We have this brand new format, brand new show coming with DJ Never Ending Story. Uh, where he's going to do a couple things. He's going to profile new artists. He's going to show them how to be an independent artist and, and, and focus on uh, collecting your revenues from being an artist, a, a musician in crypto. Uh, he's been doing that for a while now, and, he, and he's got some experiences he'd like to share. He's going to profile his own music. Uh, it's just going to be the real laid back. Like I like that show. It's like it's music plus the blockchain is is Lay what it back. is. You can listen to it on your drives to work if you like good music. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff is in the books. Well, cooking up some stuff. Uh, may even a buy or sell. What the hell could be coming soon? So, um, uh, what else do we guys do? What else do we? Uh, we're gonna be at the Miami uh, North American Bitcoin Conference next week, or that's true. This upcoming week. Miami. I'll be in Toronto at the end of February. We'll be in Dallas at mid-February. All three of us will be in Dallas. Oh, man. It's going to be a big year. This is going to be a big year. Corey's okay. in London. Corey's going to London town. What are you going to London for, Corey? The uh, London Blockchain Week. Ah, And London. Are you going to yep. visit anybody over there? Pally. I'm going to go use Pally. Like I said, I would the entire time we had them for a sponsor. That's right. Um, Maybe well, some friends that we have in our Slack. If you're if you're in London, hit me up. I will love yeah. to meet you. Um, you can buy me a beer. It'll go out to the bar. They don't say bar, they say pub. Pub. To the pub. I will eat go fish and chips and Ape some pasties and all kinds of things of that nature. Yep. And talk about dingoes at the pub. I don't think Wrong dingoes is what I'm going to talk about in London. Biscuits and dingoes. Biscuits and uh, tea. <laughs> Biscuits and tea you, in London. They're not. They're not Australian, dude. Australian, British. It's all same great. thing. All you white people sound the same. <laughs> That's what I heard. That's what I just heard. Oh man, I'm racist. Okay. Uh, well, that's about it, guys. Um. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. Play.